the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There was a man walking on the beach in Florida, and he saw a mother with a little boy. The little boy appeared to be choking. He went over and swept the boy up by the ankles and pounded him on the back, and out of his mouth popped a quarter. And the mother was so relieved, she said, Oh, I don't know how to thank you. She said, you, you knew just what to do. You must be a doctor. And he said, no, ma'am, I work for the Internal Revenue Service. It's kind of funny that, you know, we, we don't really like paying taxes. We know we've got to do it. And there's a lot of jokes made about it. Like, for example, did you know that April 15th, when taxes are due, is the same day that Abraham Lincoln was shot? And did you know it's the same day that the Titanic was sunk? Coincidence? I don't think so. There's a lot of guys who would uh, make other kind of comments. Uh, I remember old radio host Arthur Godfrey said, I am honored to pay taxes in America. But I think I would be just as honored at about half the price. <laughs> or uh, another wag said, you know, it's inevitable that we have death and taxes, but at least death doesn't get any worse every time Congress meets. So we don't care much for taxes. And I've shared with you in the past my struggle with our, when our property tax went wild, they wanted to increase it 450% in one year, and we had to appeal it, and we won, by the way. So we're not that en enthralled with it. We don't like it. Uh, but on the other hand, we know we've got to do it. But if you think we're not good on, on liking taxes, that's nothing compared to the people in Israel at Jesus' time and what they thought about taxes. Because the taxes were A, really steep, and B, they were paying taxes to a foreign government, to the Roman Empire. It would be like if we were sending all of our tax money to, you know, like China. Well, wait a minute, we're already doing that. Um, okay, but anyway, they didn't like it. And so it was a hot issue. And that's why the Pharisees, who were always trying to get something on Jesus, decided that they could use this hot issue and trap Jesus. They, were, they got together with the Herodians. Now, the Pharisees and Herodians are really strange bedfellows because the Pharisees are the super patriots. The Herodians are the collaborators with the Roman government, the followers of King Herod, the puppet king that was installed by Rome. You got these two weird, you know, what's next? Cats and dogs sleeping together? The, so when Jesus saw that these two were together, he had to know that something stinks. And it did. And they were looking to trap him. But they come up to him, oh, they were all sweetness and light, very complimentary. Uh, good teacher, we know that you are sincere and that you teach the way of God in truth and that you show no deference and that you carry no partiality to people. At this point, Jesus <laughs> should have felt like the buckwheat cakes after the syrup was poured on. He was, you know, there's so much sugar, he could have got diabetes listening to these guys. And so he knew something was up. And then here, here, comes, here comes the trap. Yes, good teacher, and, and what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, <laughs> any way you go, if you answer this yes or no, you've had it. This is a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of question. If he says, uh, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, 
the people would want to lynch him because they hated these taxes. But if he said, no, it's not lawful, they would have run right to the Roman authorities and said, Jesus is, is a, a teaching sedition. He's out there against the Roman Empire. And they would have arrested him and killed him, which was what they wanted. So either way he went, it would have been bad. It was kind of like the old joke of when somebody says, yes or no, have you stopped beating your wife? Uh, well, yes. Oh, so you were beating her. Well, no. Oh, so you're still beating her. You can't win that. But Jesus doesn't step into the loop. He instead says, give me a coin. And he says, uh, Who's, whose likeness and whose inscription is that? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, well then, give to Caesar those things that belong to Caesar. And give to God those things that belong to God. And they were all amazed and didn't ask him any more questions. The part about giving to, 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 uh, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's isn't really the most difficult part, even though it's the part we don't like. But there's not that much struggle to it because we know we've got to do it. I mean, it, it's the price that you pay for civilization. You know you're going to have to pay taxes. You just do it. It's like my old supervisor used to say, yeah, Cal, you don't have to like it. Liking it is optional. You just have to do it. So, okay, we do. It's the part about giving to God that there is more struggle because we don't have to do it. We cannot do it. And it's a very difficult thing because um, people in church oftentimes complain that pastors and the Christian church talks too much about money. I remember my great uncle Bert, yeah, the preacher's always talking about money, money, money. Well, in point of fact, in the Lutheran church, I know at least, we talk about money and possessions far less than Jesus did. If you want to check this out, page through your four Gospels and look at the headings of all the different parables that Jesus told. And Jesus always taught publicly with a parable. One-third, a full one-third of the parables in the four Gospels have to do with money and possessions and stewardship and the correct use of such. One-third of the parables, that's one-sixth of the entire Gospel lessons. So we don't talk about money near as much as Jesus did. And when he talked about it, it was almost never because somebody didn't have enough. It was almost always because they had too much. And they began to worship that instead of God. They didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know what to do with it. They put their trust in that. And of course, as I've said before, it doesn't matter what you say you believe in. Whatever you put your trust in, that's your God. Whatever gets you by, that's your God. The other thing is that we are a very materialistic society and it's very difficult to have all of the toys and the luxuries that we have and still come up with 10% for God. There isn't that much left over. We're kind of like uh, the story of the, the little boy years and years ago whose mother sent him to Sunday school with two quarters. She said, this one is for the Sunday school uh, offering plate and this one you can have an ice cream cone on the way home. And as he's walking along, he was a little careless, and one of the quarters slipped out of his hand, rolled down the grate, and went into the sewer. And the little boy looked up sorrowfully and said, Well, God, there goes your quarter. That's kind of how it is for us sometimes. Money and possessions and stuff is, is, is a very seductive thing. It's almost like cocaine or heroin or alcohol. The more we have, the more we want. It's very difficult to get away from that. And it's something that makes us 
rely on other things other than God. We become obsessed. An example of somebody who was obsessed in our culture is John D. Rockefeller. He decided that he wanted to be a millionaire by the time he was 23, and he did that. And then he wanted to be the richest man in America by age 50, and he did that. But by age 53, he was so sick he could hardly do anything. He, uh, had, uh, he lost all, had some nervous condition. He lost all of his hair. He couldn't eat anything except milk and crackers. He had shrunken down. He looked like a mummy with skin over bones. His doctor said he would not live the year. And one night as John D. was lying in his bed, he began to look at his life and to say, you know, what was it all for? I, I worked so hard to get and accumulate and have and hoard. And for what? Now here I am looking like a skeleton dying. And he decided that night that he was going to do something different. I think God got in his heart. Must have. And he decided he was going to do something different. The very next day, he began to set up conditions where he could start giving away his money. And, and he set up the Rockefeller, Rockefeller Foundation. And, and that foundation sponsored research that, had, that cured diphtheria and tuberculosis and malaria and later on was instrumental in letting people do research in the development of penicillin. Great things happened because he decided instead of getting and getting and getting, he was going to give and to give. So when we get to this uh, text, we have to look at it and we can ask ourselves one of two questions. One, one question is better than the other. We can either ask ourselves, how much of my money am I going to use on God? Or we can ask the question this way, how much of God's money am I going to keep for myself? Because everything we have is God's. And everything we are is from God's. And everything we do in return is our grateful response to God. So we can give our tokens and our money and so forth. But what we really want to do is to let God have it all. Our body, our mind, our soul, our stuff. Let the IRS squeeze out of us what they can. But we want to give ourselves to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.